to Once Upon a Phrase. Today's episode is Let's Get Medieval. I am your host, Jason. And your other host, Lisa. And today we're going to focus on words and phrases that either started in or became popular um, during the medieval time period. Our first Once Upon a Phrase is Take It with a Grain of Salt. So this is a pretty common one. Lisa, you've heard this before? Yeah, doesn't it mean just not take things literally? That's exactly it. Um, It's also an example of you know, your classic etymology mystery. It's one of the oldest phrases out there. You know, it's thousands of years old. Um, so with that much time under its belt, it's, you know, it's understandable to believe that we're not exactly sure where this one comes from. Uh, there are records, you know, from Pliny the Elder. He was a historian from, you know, the year 77. And he would believe that, you know, if you took some salt, it would be a cure for poison. That's pretty strange. Yeah, um, salt can do a lot of wonderful things. Uh, An antidote for poison is probably not one of them. Um, But even before that, Roman general Pompey believed that um, it could help make ingesting poisons a little bit easier. As you imagine, being a Roman general, there was probably a lot of people that wanted to kill him. So Pompey thought to himself, I could build up an immunity by ingesting small amounts of poison at a time. Um, But poison tastes gross. Just like when you're at some people's houses and they don't seat them their food, you need that salt to put on it to help that be a little easier to digest too. Yeah, um, I wonder which one of your friends are listening to this and thinking, did she just call my food poison? <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so same concept, right? Uh, he wanted to build up that immunity, so he would uh, take small amounts of poison with this salt to make it easier to go down. Um But nowadays, you're exactly right. It means not to take things too literally, approach things with, you know, certain degree of skepticism or even common sense, and it would protect you um, from being hurt or, you know, offended by what was said. But how does salt equal skepticism or common sense? I don't get that. So this is where the linguistics part comes into it. Um, An alternate hypothesis of where this phrase comes from is actually Latin. So in Latin, the phrase is cum grano salis, and there's probably a 0% chance I said that correctly, but I tried. I even <laughs> Good effort. Yeah, I even YouTubed it before the podcast. Um, the word salis meaning salt, which is why the phrase, you know, with a grain of salt. But in a different uh, case of the word, the genetic case, salis in Latin also means wit. Mm. So the Latin phrase could you know, also be translated instead of with a grain of salt to with a grain of wit or intelligence. You know, when you hear something, take it with some wit, some intelligence, use common sense. So that way, like I said, it doesn't offend you or you're not hurt by what somebody was trying to say. Common sense is rare these days, though. Yeah. Oh, and obviously even thousands of years ago, they had to come up with a phrase to tell people to take it with a certain degree of common sense because um, it's, it's not always there. But we have lots of uh, uses for the word now, the phrase now, take it with a grain of salt, a lot of information out there, and sometimes you just got to take it with some intelligence um, so that way you're not too seriously into it. Um, all right, next phrase. You're up, Lisa. Our next once upon a phrase is baker's dozen. Have you ever used that phrase before? Uh, I've never used it. I definitely know what it means. Um, It's 13 instead of 12, but I've never had a reason to give somebody 13 of something instead of 12. (laughs) 
So in the medieval times, bakers used to be a little bit sketchy. They would either skimp or overcharge people when they were buying breads or pastries. Hold on. So of all the people during the medieval time period, you're telling me the bakers were the sketchy ones? I'm sure if we did some more research, we'd find out there was plenty more sketchy people during the medieval times, though. Yeah. Different podcast, different day. Exactly. So because people were becoming outraged because they were being overcharged for something or being skimped out on getting enough of the bread they asked for, politicians got involved and they passed Aziz of Bread. In the late 1200s, Henry III passed this, and this was to regulate the price and the amount of bread that they were receiving. So, the consequence of this was, if bakers were caught not giving the proper amounts, they would be beaten, fined, or even thrown in jail. Hold on, I'm sorry. They are beating up bakers for skimping people and throwing them in jail? Yeah, I can't imagine that conversation in jail. Say, hey, what are you in here for? I skimped on a loaf of bread? (laughs) I would lie. I'm lying. If I'm in for skimping on bread, I am lying. I'm making something up. Something elaborate? I'm saying I tried to kill the king or something. Like, I'm not going to prison for skimping on bread. Sorry, sorry. Go on. So because of this, if I was a baker, you know, I'm going to avoid this altogether. So what they would do is they would make sure that they started throwing in an extra loaf or throwing in a little bit more, maybe an extra pastry, right? So that they could avoid this punishment. Because I was a baker, I'm not trying to go to jail or get beaten for something so silly. Okay, so throwing in the extra one would, I guess, completely eliminate the chance Because it'd be over the weight. Over the weight, yeah. Okay, so no more uh, under, no more skimping, no more jail time. (laughs) Okay. So there is a little bit more to this, though. Not only was this Aziz of bread, it was also the ale as well. So if you're not familiar, beer is an ale, right? So it's made from wheat, barley, oats, and all those other things, right? So this was regulated by the law, too. Hold on. So the same law that regulated bread also regulated beer. Yeah. So if you went to a bar, you would get extra beer? Yeah, I'm down for that too, though. So like here's here's an extra round on me so I don't have to get fined or go to jail. Wait, are these ball, bars still around? Because uh, I want to go to the bar that gives you an extra beer or a little extra pour. I've got some uh, co-workers I know that also would prefer uh, a heavy pour uh, when we go out. If you find one of those, let me know. I'm in for going. Yeah. Oh. So nowadays, right, just like things evolve, it seems like it's impossible that baker that bakers would do this. Oh, inflation alone is taking care of that. Bakers, any business, nobody's giving you an extra something for nothing. They're just going to make sure that they train you to measure things exactly so they're not giving you too much or too little, right, to yeah. avoid all these issues. Also, if you've ever gone to the store... You notice if you're ever looking for muffin tins or anything for pastries, they come in even numbers. You get a 6, a 12, 24, 36. So it would be impossible to make 13 of something unless you want to waste and dirty a whole nother pan for an extra one. Yeah, I don't imagine anybody's going to bust out a whole new muffin tin to make 13 instead of 12. I wouldn't. Um, I don't want to do the dishes. No. So this does get appealed... Um, in the late 1800s, though. Yeah, I can't imagine this is still around today, right? No. Nope. No, probably just got too hard to regulate, too hard to enforce, um, and then businesses aren't giving away extra for too much longer. But can you can you imagine, though, getting 13 or something? Can you eat 13 of anything? I can't, but I know my four-year-old can. <laughs> oh, yes. This I know. Um, 
uh, when we are in dinner at your mother's house, do you remember the munchkins? Yep, my mom, you know, this is what I think is still true. If you ever go to Dunkin' Donuts and you ask for my mom gets 10 munchkins, what they end up doing is they just take a big old handful and they shove it in there. So it's a mystery of how many extra you get. Yeah. So we left my son unattended, and lo and behold, the next day we look, and there are no munchkins in that bag. And yeah. there was definitely 13 or more in there. Oh, there was definitely more in there. Your mom ordered 10, and they gave us half a bag, so he ate 13 munchkins for sure. Um, I don't know that I could put down 13 of anything. Me neither. All right. Um, next on the docket, um, it's probably one of my favorite ones that we've come across so far. Um, the Once Upon a Phrase I want to introduce you to next is Devil's Advocate. So, Lisa, what do you know about being Devil's Advocate? So, I've definitely heard the phrase, but I've never used it myself. Okay. So, I usually play Devil's Advocate quite a bit. Um, it's an extremely popular phrase from the medieval time period. Um, and what I like the most about it is it kind of means exactly what it did back then. Um, you want to argue the opposing side. You want to present the other side of the argument um, so that way your argument in itself is more valid. So I do this quite often. As I you know, mentioned in the Meet the Duo episode, I myself am a history teacher, and part of what I like to do is promote debate, uh, get my students into a discussion, and to do that, sometimes I need to be devil's advocate. I need to promote the other side um, so that way they can see the other side of the argument in an effort to better explain their side. Ah, that makes sense. Um, so thinking about you say this, when I'm, I'm also a teacher, I teach fourth grade, and when I teach my kids to use evidence for things, we often will debate silly topics like, should we have to wear uniforms? Or, you know, should we have homework? And the kids are like, well, yeah, we shouldn't have homework. I'm going to choose that side. But I make them look up both sides because I want them to focus on gathering the evidence. So at the end of the day, when I pick what side they're on the following day for the debate part of it, they sometimes have to play, I guess, devil's advocate. I didn't realize I was doing that, though. Yes, big round of applause for Lisa, everybody. She is being devil's advocate. You are making your students be devil's advocate. I play devil's advocate. I make my students do it as well. Um, as I mentioned, it's one of the more popular phrases that come out of the medieval time period. Uh, a lot of us do it, a lot of us say it, and it kind of means the same exact thing. But there's a twist. This was actually a real job. No way. Yeah, real job in the Catholic Church. Can you imagine the Catholic Church having a job called the Devil's Advocate? Did they really call it that, though? Uh, kind of. In the, you know, late 1500s, Pope Sixtus V uh, creates this position. It translates to promoter of faith. Or, you know, advocus diabli. Again, probably not saying that right because I don't speak Latin, but it's got to be close. Um, but no, this was the promoter of faith or the Devil's Advocate was somebody who investigated people who were up for sainthood. Um, they would present all the unfavorable facts. They would try to uncover any character flaws or misrepresentations of this person, any, you know, quote-unquote miracles that they've performed um, in an effort to make sure that they were or were not ready for sainthood. This sounds like what we see all those commercials for politicians whenever someone's running for office. They're kind of using 
those platforms now to kind of shame them and point out all the things that they do. Yeah, I, I, I think that's funny. Actually. Every you know campaign commercial is essentially a devil's advocate, right? They are showing the the character flaws or the bad things that person did. Um, so you know we're familiar with this. Um, the Catholic Church needed this, though. Um, what the Pope was doing was trying to bring more vid- validity um, to the Church. You know, in the mid 1500s, people aren't exactly taking the Catholic Church at their for the word anymore. Um, between you know the Reformation and Luther's 95 Theses, and you know we won't go too deep into that. But the Catholic Church has is lost a lot of faith. Right? People aren't going to follow blindly. Yeah, um, it's a better way. Yeah, so. They are still looking for a way to prove that the individuals up for sainthood deserve to be canonized. And one of the ways they would do this is having their devil's advocate um, look up all these character flaws and these misrepresentations and interview people about what really happened and who this person really was. So that way, when the Catholic Church said, you know, yes, this person is a saint, you could believe them. You know, you had somebody arguing the opposing side. You had somebody look into all the negative That makes things. sense. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting, though, because we saw this position last for hundreds of years. Uh, not still around today. Um, pope John Paul II in the 80s uh, re- greatly reduced the role and kind of changed it all together. So they, they don't have a devil's advocate officially anymore. Yeah, I wonder if it's still done unofficially, though. Oh, definitely still done unofficially. Um, a more modern-day example I could think of is Mother Teresa, um, uh, she was given sainthood, and one of the things the Catholic Church did was interview certain people. Um, uh, gentleman Christopher Hitchens, there we go. Um, he, he interviewed about Mother Teresa and talked about um, you know the validity of her miracles and what she was doing and what the Catholic Church in general is doing, um, and it was used against her. I mean, the Catholic Church had to decide based on you know what he was saying. If she was she was deserving of being a saint and you know she was and she was granted sainthood but the catholic church again i it's it's not malicious they're not trying to find dirt on people they just want to make sure that the people being you know given sainthood really deserve it i think this is interesting because a lot of the phrases we discussed in our last episode they kind of evolved over the years but this is the one that kind of seems to have stayed true to its meaning even now yeah, I think some like of the words and phrases, and you'll see this in later episodes as well, they used to mean this, now we just say it because this. This almost means the same exact thing. And, you know, even though the position doesn't exist today, you know, the the Pope has more control over this, the Catholic Church the, has made the process a little bit quicker um, for whatever reason, but the exact meaning of what it was is kind of how we use it today. Interesting. All right, so before we say goodbye or farewell, our last once upon a phrase is goodbye. And farewell. So goodbye is actually a shortened version of God be with ye. Oh, ye. Oh, they would have, they didn't say you back then. Instead of God be with you, it's God be with ye. Right, so this phrase itself dates back to the mid-1500s. So back in those days, you weren't necessarily sure when you were going to see a person next. So you wanted to make sure that what you said was meaningful or a more permanent way, right? So you'd say, God be with thee. So like, God be with you. Like, send them some good wishes. Okay. Yeah, no social media, no text, no cell phones. I guess saying goodbye to somebody or God be with you. Uh, 
could actually have been the last time you saw that person. Right, so they wanted to make sure it was more meaningful. But just like we discussed in our previous episode with, like, bees knees, we kind of shortened things up. People weren't going to say, God be with ye every time. They shortened it to goodbye. Who was in charge of that? Because I feel like that's a very teenage thing to do. We, uh, I've got a 15-year-old daughter who, if any of you have teenagers at home and have text messaged with them, they shorten everything. They abbreviate, they mush words together, they find ways... For whatever reason, they need to save all this time. Um, yeah, I've definitely found myself texting our 15, 15 year old daughter back, be like, What are these seven letters put together? I don't know what you mean by this. And she'll send me some long sentence that she shortened up into seven letters. And I'll think, Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's cool. I, I wonder how many other words we use in the English language that aren't words by definition, they're sort of just smushed phrases together hey well, yeah something to look into so also farewell has a very similar meaning so if we break that word apart to fare means to travel right mm-hmm. put it together to travel well so it's another way to tell someone like if they were leaving you know to kind of like travel safely okay yeah I, I always imagined goodbye and farewell is just words like words with definitions right not necessarily smushed together words or two words put together to fare well okay i think now instead of saying farewell when we mean to travel safely we just say when you're leaving someone's house like drive safely drive carefully yeah or i always tell people you know when they leave the house to drive safe and text me when you get home you know telling them to travel well travel safely so both of these are salutations that we use every day right and they're just short versions of how people talked 500 or so years ago that's so crazy i think that's one of the most wildest things that people don't think about, which is, again, why we do this podcast. Right. It's just 500 years ago, people are saying words and phrases that just, I don't know anything that I've done that's going to stand the test of time for 500 years. We'll have to find out, right, when history books are talking about us. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's all for episode three, Let's Get Medieval. Um, I know I mentioned about the 1920 slang episode that there will be a part two. Uh, just gathering phrases and doing research for this episode i can guarantee that there will be a let's get medieval part two and part three somewhere down the line but until then uh, we look forward to putting out another episode next week and goodbye and farewell